Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sports Talk with Tonsoni. I'm your host, Brian Tonsoni. Following your favorite sports team often means collecting memorabilia of that team. Several fans may even have a man cave to show off all their items. Tonight's guest is the quintessential collector of IU memorabilia. Not only is his collection impressive, but his desire to share his items with others via media and other outlets is beyond compare. Please welcome Chris Williams, a.k.a. IU Artifacts, to the show. Good evening, Chris. How are you doing, my friend? Coach, how are we doing, bud? Doing well. Doing well. Anytime we can talk uh, IU sports is a, is a good way to start off the week. Uh, we're both teachers. So Mondays are, are interesting days, but what a good way to, to end a Monday. Um, share with our listeners, if you would, how you began collecting IU memorabilia. Sure. Um, I grew up in Bloomington. Um, my parents, my grandparents, several aunts and uncles went through IU, uh, you know, and, and I kind of became ingrained in me from an early age. It was like so many of us, IU becomes a part of our life. And um but I remember when I first started going to games, football and basketball in the late 80s, early 90s, um, you know, like so many of us, and we were just talking about this a while ago, saving ticket stubs, um, saving programs to games that you may have been significant to you or something like that. And that, that just kind of – I just remember keeping them in a box. And then after college, uh, my grandparents were downsizing, and my grandparents who had been season ticket holders since the 1960s for football – in basketball, um, they just started giving me things. They would give me their mementos from the Rose Bowl, give me their mementos from Philadelphia in 76 and 81 for the NCAA championships. Um, and I just kind of started getting things. And I realized I had, you know, you and I have such a great love for history that um, I became more interested in learning more about the history of the, of, of the, of the programs. And, and, especially basketball, but obviously also football. And, and um, that just kind of became a passion to, because I didn't know a ton about the history of IU basketball or football. And over the last 15 years or so, I've learned more than I ever could have imagined about the unique storylines and, and the unique people. And doing that through collecting has been really rewarding to me because not only have I, um, been able to acquire some fantastic items, but I've also met some great people. I've met children and grandchildren of former athletes and been able to find images for them and programs and, and, and stuff that they may not have had. And that's been a really rewarding thing for me. And it makes me feel really good that I can get those things to them. And that, and that uh, to me is the best part of it. What, um, from a history standpoint, what has been one of the, th- the, the best things that you've learned or found uh, maybe one or two things that have really stood out to you are learning about the history of Indiana sports programs. Sure. Um, you know, I've really become interested in learning a lot about McCrack, Branch McCracken's tenure at IU, um, which, you know, he began, he came here in the fall of 1938 from Ball State Teachers College back to his alma mater. Obviously he was a first team all American here his senior year and left Indiana as their all-time leading scorer in 1930. And I really wanted to learn a lot about his program. And the amazing thing that I discovered about McCracken was that he had runner-up finishes in the Big Ten each of his first five seasons. And that included the year that they went to the final – or they went to the NCAA championship against Kansas and won their first title. But I, I, I've been able to pick up a lot of unique things from McCracken's era. But one of the things I also learned – 
uh, that was so unique about that is that McCracken nearly left Indiana to go to UCLA to coach. Um, uh, it's something I posted on Twitter a while back and he had turned down the UCLA job shortly, just about a year after returning from his service in World War II in the Navy. And he um, turned down the job in UCLA only to recommend his good friend, John Wooden, who was then at Indiana State, to go out. And uh, Wooden, as we know, had, you know, despite what you may think about his recruiting um, philosophies, had the most successful coaching uh job and coaching career in, in collegiate basketball. And, and when the, the title runs that he had, it's just still, it's, it's untoppable. So that, that to me, uh, those what ifs has just come up so many times and, and it's amazing. And I'm hopefully going to tell the story about that soon in some kind of article, but the, it's amazing. The what if coincidences that could have happened in Indiana university, it's really something that could have changed the whole landscape of college athletics. You talk about sharing your information, and you do a great job through uh, social media, uh, through different uh, outlets and media. Share share with people where they can find your work um, and how often you, you put out articles and maybe your favorite story or article that uh, you've written to date. Sure. Um, I've been fortunate to do a lot of stuff with uh, the guys at Assembly Call, Um you know, those, you know, Jared and those guys are just phenomenal people and I've gotten to know them well in the last couple of years. Um, and doing stories for them, it, it ties in a piece of artifact, like an IU artifact of some kind in my collection. But I also talk about the history of the season, the history of the players, the uniqueness of the season. And I try, one of the goals I'm going to try to have is to write an article about every season in IU basketball history. It's, it's pertains specifically to basketball because that's their specialty with the website. Uh, so I've been doing that for a little over two and a half years now, and I just, I love it. And um, in addition to that, I, I try to post something every day on Twitter. Um, right now it's been unique, unique coincidences or coincidences, excuse me, or on this date in IU history with football. Uh, but I try to interject some artifacts here and there and, and, and talk about the stories behind them because to, to me, the item is, is, significant but telling people the story about what it is or what's significant about that season or a, a certain highlight related to the item is more is the most important you you mentioned something in, in, in talking about how you got started and, and what you enjoy about meeting families of indiana athletes and, and being able to bring them some piece of artifact or some piece of memorabilia that they might not have known existed for their family member can you share a specific example um, yeah. of, of how that has happened for you and, and, and how much you enjoyed that? Yeah, I, I got a couple examples. Uh, one of them, there was a basketball player that played in the late 40s named Jerry Studeville, and he unfortunately died at a very young age that kind of shortened his, shortened his IU uh, career. And I connected with his nephew, who's also named after him, Jerry Studeville. He lives in Illinois, and I connected with him and was able to uh, find a program that had his uncle listed in the starting lineup from the late 40s and found some images for them and for him. And, and that's something to me that I, it's a unique connection to, to hear about their story and, and the fact that, you know, this gentleman never got to meet his uncle, but has his namesake. And that's something that's really special. But finding things that they can appreciate. Um, I also uh, connected with Burke, Burke Scott's 
son. Burke Scott was the starting guard on the 1953 NCAA championship. They didn't have a program with their father uh, on, on the cover. And I, I found one and, and sent it along to him because I, I knew that it would be something that would be special to them. And, and, you know, I wrote an article uh, on assembly call earlier, or excuse me, late last year uh, about Harry Good, who's the coach that took over temporarily for Branch McCracken. And his grandson sent me an email saying that, hey, he appreciated the, the words about his grandfather because there wasn't that much out there. And that's that's the kind of stuff that I, I, I just I, I really enjoy. And I, I like people appreciating the, the information that they received or that connection that can made. And I, I get I get emails or I get um, tweets every once in a while from people saying, hey, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I remembered my time at IU when that took place. And I remembered the special memories that I had. Um, during that time. And that to me is, is the biggest reason why I do it. You, you know, Chris, that's the thing that I've really appreciated about you is, is the fact that you bring back memories. There are people of all ages that have attended Indiana university and are especially attached to the athletic programs and, and in your work with assembly call, your work on social media, uh, you've showed me some personal things uh, when I've stopped by your house and, and you shared with me some things that that has been a great thing as an alum of uh, of Indiana University, a graduate of Indiana University to to go back. And then we follow along with you on these stories of of the times before I was on campus in the late 80s. So the Branch McCracken and the, and the stuff from the 40s, you've always heard about those teams. And now you get to know a little bit more about the story. And I, I, I thank you. And I think I can thank you from uh, a fan base that uh, that appreciates that. So you go about collecting. Share, uh, how do you find these items? Uh, where, where do you go? I'm sure there's a huge personal connection. You, you know a lot of people who are also in the business and they alert you to stuff. But, but how do you collect it? And then how do you choose what to display and, and what to store uh, in, in your personal collection? Sure. Uh, there's different avenues. Um, online auctions are big, but I've been able to kind of, there is a, a circle of big collectors for Indiana that uh, I've been able to um, befriend and, and, and be a part of in the last several years. And, you know, that, that helps become aware of what's out there. Uh, I've, I've found things in the most random of places. I found uh, game used jerseys under a bunch of old rags in a garage uh, and just outside of Bloomington. I, I found things in storage units of people who didn't even know that, that they were there. Um, I, I found things that were going to be thrown away. I mean, it, it just depends. I'm, it's not a hoarding situation or anything like that. But um, and, and my wife, you know, I, I love her very much for being so patient with me for all my stuff. But uh it's, it's, it's more about, you know, if there's something there that is significant and it's historical, um, I want to get it because ultimately for me, one of the things I want to do is I want a good portion of what I have to go to the university. I think that's where it belongs. I think that's where it should be. And to, to find things that, um, have been lost to history or have been lost for so much or, or for so long or, you didn't know what was out there is significant. And to answer your second point, um, I rotate things. Um, you know, I have, I have things out that I like to display all the time, but, um, you know, uh, it could be signed basketballs that I, I kind of rotate. Some things I don't like to have out in the sun because they're already kind of faded and, and, and all that. But I, I tend to kind of, um, 
rotate some things periodically, but for the most part, uh, you know, in, in cases and so forth, things stay in a certain place in a certain way, because I think they look, they look nice that way. So, but it just depends on what it is. Do you ever just find yourself on a weekend afternoon, just kind of sitting and grabbing the stuff out and looking back through it? I, I, I think I could just spend hours looking at stuff and, and bringing back memories. I, I do with the ephemera, the paper stuff. I, I'm a big, I love basketball schedules. That's my, my favorite thing. And, and I'm, I'm trying to get a run from 19, from the 1950 season to present. I'm only missing two schedules. So uh, to me, that's getting those out and looking how, how they changed and unique, how the unique they are in programs. That kind of stuff is cool because you, you, you know, the, the programs have changed so much and the style has changed so much and the design and now they're, you know, about an inch thick and they, they're full of ads and everything like that, which is the way it is. But um, things change so much over time that it's, it's nice to look back at at what things were before. And that's, yeah. And and the last question before we start seeing some of of your items, you mentioned giving back to the university. Is there anything in the works right now for any kind of sports museum on the new campus where they're bringing the the volleyball and the, and the wrestling to its own building. You have football, basketball, the tennis, the soccer, all in one area. It, I, you mentioned to me before there was a lot of stuff in a trophy room at one point uh, that um, collected a little bit of dust. Is there any thoughts about a place to display these other than in the lobbies of some of these uh, new buildings? There, there was discussions during the previous administration when, when Rick Greenspan was here that a sports museum was going to be built. And obviously this predates Cook Hall and this predates the Hinky Hall of Champions, which is the second floor of the the north end zone at Memorial Stadium. Um, to my knowledge, there hasn't been. Um, it, it, to me, it would be something uh, it may be passed on now. I don't know. I, I, I haven't really pushed, and maybe I should more, but I haven't really been in that position or have been in that position to – push for that as much. I think it's, you know, I think what we have in Cook Hall is nice. And I think what we have in Hinky is nice. Um, my personal opinion is I think some of those things are being neglected and that's just me because if you go up there, some of the things are, have been bleached out from the sun, but that's neither here nor there. I could, I'm not going to rant and I'm not going to throw the good people, of the athletic department under the bus. I'm not going to do that. But, um, I think there could be something for that. You know, a lot of the prominent universities with rich sports history have that, the Penn State Sports Museum is phenomenal as one example. Um, I don't know if it's going to be in the works or not. I think it just depends on the right circumstances and the right situation. Um, I, you know, I would be all for it, and I would be more than happy to donate stuff for it for everybody to see. But it, it really just depends on on the right timing, and I don't know when that's going to be. So, the, the athletic department have they been helpful uh, as much as they can in in the things that you want to accomplish? Um, you know, you mean it's like as a personal collector or in terms of what they want to, or either way, the things that you might have done for the university, sure. you know, in, um, in letting you know where things are. Right. I, I, I mean, I, I communicate with some people in the, in the athlete department. I've, I've helped them with images of artifacts and, and, uh, tickets. You know, there was a couple of years ago, they had a bunch of old ticket stubs on the front of the ticket book. Uh, and I provided the scans for that, which was a really cool project that I worked on with uh, the people in the, in the marketing department. I, I don't I don't seek out 
the athletic department personally for, for finding anything. I don't think that's appropriate in my, in, to me. Um, if, if they let me know of something, then great, but I don't, I don't hound them and I don't, you know, I say, Oh, new season. What's, you know, I don't do that because I don't, I think that's not my position to be in. But um, luckily when things do get thrown out or do get recycled, things become available. Um, and so um, if I'm in the right place at the right time, great. If not, then you just move on. Very good. Now, now we're going to move in and Chris is going to show us some of the things that he's collected uh, for our audio listeners. We're going to try to be as descriptive as possible. We're also going to post the video on uh, sports talk with Tonsoni.com under the podcast tab. Uh, so you could uh, go and, and rewatch this if you're not with this live. Uh, so uh, here we go, Chris, uh, take it away. The show's yours. Sure. We'll start off with a pretty uh, significant piece. This is a Bobby Wilkerson road jersey uh, from the 1973-74 season. And the reason why I know that is because it's been photo matched to uh, a specific game where he wore it. So I have a a picture of him in the 1974 um, Big Ten playoff game in which Indiana had to play Michigan in Champaign, Illinois before there was a postseason tournament for the Big Ten, they had to play there for a one game to determine who got in the NCAA tournament, which was Michigan. Indiana went to the CCA tournament that year. But I have a photo of him wearing it. And that's one of the things when it comes to jerseys um, that is significant because if you want to determine when a jersey was worn, the best way to do it is to find a photo. Um, and that's not easy, especially with road games, uh, because a lot of times Indiana did not send um, – Photographers, you know, may not have been a athletic department photographer sent to a road game, but this one was significant because it was that unique game to decide who would win the Big Ten outright. So um, I actually picked this up just a couple of months ago. It popped up on an online auction um, and I knew exactly what it was at the time. Uh, I've done a lot of research on jerseys, knowing the manufacturers for the specific years and the styles and the color schemes and all that. And the, even the font style, it's almost like an obsession, but it, if you're out there as a collector of game use memorabilia, the more education you have, the better Th- that knowledge really can be the difference between finding something common and finding a gym that is just hidden. So, um, you know, and that's to me, you know, with Wilkerson being a, such a significant figure in the mid seventies on those great teams, obviously, you know, it's been discussed time and time again about those teams in the mid seventies. Uh, it's a significant piece to me. Um, and I wanted a really high quality player from that mid seventies era. And I do have a Wayne Radford Jersey, but I, I, you know, obviously Wilkerson was a starter jump center at six foot seven on that 76 squad. So very unique for sure. So that, that's um, a- Find it. And you, you sent me a picture of that and said it's a Wilkerson jersey, and I went right away to Sharon. I said, yeah. <laughs> Sharon. And, and I don't was, think I would have had the, uh, uh, the enthusiasm as much for Sharon, even though I, I remember he's a good player that, you know, his, his departure from IU wasn't the best. But, you know, I know he's doing well now. I don't mean to throw him under the bus. But, yeah, different, different Wilkerson. Did Sharon wear 20? I think he did. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he for was. Some reason that's in the back of my mind that he did. I'm trying to maybe justify my mistake, but that's a great, <laughs> great piece. That's the red away for, again, for our uh, audio listeners, the red yeah. away number 20 jersey that Chris uh, just showed us on the video. Yeah, it was made by Rawlings. Rawlings made jerseys for Indiana um, from 66 
65 or 66, 67 season all the way through to the 75, 76 season. But the significance is, is when Knight came in, he instituted after his first year, not not in his first year, but his second year, the the red and white uniforms. They went away from that true dark cream and crimson color to the red and white. And that kind of was a staple of the, of the Bob Knight era. So, um, and I do, I, I do have basketball and football and I'll kind of bounce back and forth, but I want to talk about um, press passes. To me, I, I love press passes because they are unique. They're not easy to find. They signify something similar to a ticket, but um, this one is, is very unique. It's, it's, it's green. The date on it is December 4th, 1948. Indiana plays the paw. Brian, I'm going to see if you can guess any significance about this. This would have been the first game of the season in 1948. This would have been at the old field house, which is now the Wildermuth Gymnasium. It has a very significant uh, uh, significance, rather, to not just Indiana, but to the Big Ten. Bill Garrett? Yes, sir. So uh-huh. this is this is the, the color barrier, or excuse me, the – breaking the barrier uh, in terms of the general gentleman agreement in the Big Ten. So this would have been the first game that Bill Garrett suited up for as an Indiana player. Uh, he arrived uh, the previous season because back then in the 40s, uh, freshmen could not play. But this is a press pass from uh, one of the radio stations in Indiana. I'm not sure which one, but uh, this, was, this was significant because up until this point, the Big Ten had a, had a gentleman's agreement bearing, or barring African-Americans from playing basketball. Uh, and when Indiana uh, brought in Garrett as a player, and the, the, the crazy thing about this is, is that Garrett was the Mr. Basketball. His team had won the state championship, Shelbyville High School. Shelbyville High School, excuse me. He had to try out for the team at Indiana, which is, <laughs> is maddening to me. But, again, um, there was, you know, this this gentleman's agreement had been around for many years specifically to deny any African-American, even if they were the best player in the state of Indiana from playing. And so it was a significant step uh, when Garrett came in and Garrett's Garrett was a star. Um, he was an All-American. He, uh, you know, he was one of the he was a great undersized big man. He played center at six foot three. So uh, a lot of significance in that in terms of what he did as a player on a big 10 team uh, for the conference. You know, um, I think there was a question maybe behind the scenes. I don't know if it was asked on the show assembly call and I'm probably giving away the next week's show question or something about who would you want to go back and see play or have dinner with uh, that? And I think I might have to consider going back and having a conversation with Bill Garrett. It'd be nice to to sit down and, and see what that was uh, like, especially, you know, you and I with our, our teaching of history and, sure. and the whole rights movement and, and integration and all of those things. Um, there, there's probably several uh, Indiana players that I would like to go back and have a conversation, but that press pass is a, is a pretty nice piece signifying a big step in the right direction, at, sp- at least in my opinion. And adding on to what you're saying about the, the significance in civil rights, there's a great book that, that was written called Getting Open, which is about Garrett um, kind of integrating B- Big Ten basketball. And it was written by someone from his hometown. It's a phenomenal book that really goes deep into what he had to endure as a player, game in and game out in the Big Ten. Uh, it was just, it's brutal. To, you can't, no one can even imagine what he had to go through at that time. And yet he stuck it out. He, he, he played hard every time. And, 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 and his teammates, 
uh, as they talk about, really rallied behind him and accepted him as they should have from the very beginning, but accepted him as one of, of one of their guys. And that was significant, but it, it's just, it's a great story um, that, that really was not told until a few years ago. And it's a phenomenal book that I would recommend to anybody. Um, we're going to switch to football. And so my primary collecting area is basketball, but I do have several football pieces that I'm proud of. And this one is one of them. And it's, it's a small old oaken bucket. And as you can see, you have the conjoined I and P at the top. It has, it's hard to tell, but it has a red tassel that's faded over. And this is from 1926. And it has a label on the front that has the, the, what you would see engraved on the, um, on the actual bucket. And these were handed out at the second annual uh, alumni dinner that they had right before the 1926 game. So this was, uh, these were the tabletop uh, kind of uh, decorative items. And so these were given out and very few of them survived. They come up every once in a while, but uh, the interesting thing is, and on some of these, they had a piece of paper for a local business um, to advertise. If you wanted to add I's and P's, you could, and you just order them from this company. But, uh, you know, and, and what's so fascinating about the bucket is the fact that at the very top, it's perfect with the I and P together because it was conjoined the first game in 1925 and then the what was then the 10th Street Stadium in its first year, uh, now the Arboretum, Arboretum, excuse me, in Bloomington, it was a 0-0 tie. And it just to me, that that makes everything so significant about the item and the real bucket because it just works out perfectly with it being there at the top. So, um, you know, and like I said, I've had some great football pieces in the past. Some of them I traded away because I would rather have basketball pieces. Um, it just depends on on what it is. And, and with IU, you, you have a lot of IU collectors who are – particularly or excuse me particularly basketball you have a lot that are particularly football but it really just depends so very good we need to get you uh into uh, baseball i have, have yeah, collected yeah. some i've yeah schedules and things from baseball correct it's very hard to find baseball stuff there's some old stuff out there i've seen a couple jerseys from the 60s but there is not a lot for baseball but you know it's amazing because baseball was more popular than football and basketball when, right at the turn of the century. It was the sport on IU's campus. And basketball was very low in the totem pole for a very long time until really probably the, uh, the early 20s. So, You see this thing right up here above me here? <laughs> that looks familiar. That, that's a nice piece. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, we'll do another football piece. Um, one of the best things about the older items is that they're much more intricate, intricate, much more detail oriented. And this is one of my favorite football pieces. This is a schedule poster and the date is 1946. But the significance of this is that it talks about the big nine champions. So the big 10 was originally nine, also known as the Western conference, but this is the year after we went undefeated and won the big 10 outright for the first time uh, in 1945. Um, you have several of the returning stars on the team, Russ Steele, Pete Pihos, um, Bob Ravensburg, Howard Brown. So uh, this was handed out as a mailer. It would fold up. They would send it out to you. It was advertising you to come back to order tickets. It's about 11 by 17 in size. 
it's got great graphics um, on front and back. And, and and to me, you know, the older schedule posters, you know, we think about them today. These don't come up very often because they were tossed out. They were thrown out as soon as the year was over, even for something like this. And I've never seen a 1945 one. That would be a very significant piece for a football collector for IU. But, um, you know, these, these were designed to be displayed. They were designed to be hung up in an office of some kind. They came in paper or cardstock. This one's paper. But um, just it's significant because, you know, as IU fans, as we've had to endure for so long, we don't get to see that champions up there <laughs> on the item too often. So um, it, it's, it's nine, $9 for a season ticket. Yeah. Yeah. $9, uh, $9 football season ticket. Um, you know, that's, Four, that's $9. Yep. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> and the, the interesting thing to point out, um, it's hard to see, but you'll notice that Michigan is, is a, is an away game. One of the things you're going to see a lot with big programs in the 40s and 50s with Indiana, especially with teams like Ohio State and uh, Michigan, is they wouldn't come to Bloomington to play. They wouldn't come to play at the stadium because it only held 22,000 people. Uh, you know, it, we, we get this envision, we envision this huge stadium that we have, and it's, it's fairly big. Uh, this was a U, you know, a horseshoe that was mainly, for the most part, underground. And it, 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 it did not hold more than about 22,000 people. And for a lot of these big programs like Michigan and Notre Dame, they wouldn't come to Bloomington to play. So for several years, we don't, you don't see Michigan in Bloomington. You don't see Notre Dame in Bloomington. You don't see these perennial programs because they won't, they won't waste their time coming here. And uh, a lot of that probably had to do with the, with the stadium. So. Yeah, that, that was something that surprised me when you look back at the history and the game schedules that you played at Ohio State several years in a row sure. and, and the limited number of home games in Bloomington uh, yeah. back in the day has been a big surprise. And the teams that they played at home, they were not great programs. I mean, Cincinnati has never been a strong football program. Um, you know, we would play, you know, you know, we played Marquette. And Marquette doesn't even have a football team anymore. So, but yeah, you, to your point, it would be not surprising to travel to Ann Arbor, to travel to Columbus, to travel to South Bend every single year, or every other year, but they wouldn't come here. I mean, the last time that Notre Dame played in Bloomington, I think was 1950. But before that, there was only a handful of games that were actually played here. Everything was played in South Bend. So anyways, I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is. Um. <laughs> So this is going to be in the obscurity category. Okay, so this is an Indiana Final Four hat, but it's from 1993. And as we all know, in 1993, you know, the the season hopes were high after 1992. This is an officially licensed hat that they would have received if they had gone to the Final Four in 93. Um, In 92, we lose to Duke in the Final Four. We, we only graduate two players. We graduate Eric Anderson and Jamal Meeks. Eric Anderson was my all-time favorite players. And in 93, we have um, a great nucleus of players. We have a small team. We only had 10 guys on the team. But you have the names Bailey, Chaney, Graham, both Grahams, Pat and Greg Graham, Chris Reynolds, Damon – or I said Damon Bailey, Brian Evans, Alan Henderson. It was a great team. Uh, and, the, you know, we, we go through uh, – for the most part, unscathed in the preseason, we go to the Big Ten. We lose one game 
to uh, Ohio State. And obviously, uh, if you were around in the 70s and you had to experience Scott May's broken arm against Purdue, uh, we had a, obviously a similar occurrence with Alan Henderson tearing his ACL in practice. I remember it was a Friday. Uh, I remember my dad telling me what had happened. And as someone who was 10 years old, 1993, and these guys were like gods to me, uh, larger than life figures, it was devastating. And I remember the big question was, was Indiana going to be able to do anything um, with Henderson? And I, don't, I can't recall, but I think they tried to play him a little bit. But it was just almost like a situation with, with May with his broken arm in that game against Kentucky in 1975. He was not himself. And we, we went up against a, a better Kansas team, and we got beat in the Midwest or the mid, mid, excuse me, Midwest Regional Final. And so these were supposed to be thrown in the trash. And yet somehow a, a few of them survived. So it's a very unique, almost like an anomaly to find these. But unfortunately, it's, it's, for, a, um, it's, for a, it's a moment that we all wish, and I know I've talked with Jared Morse about this and Andy Bottoms a thousand times. It's a moment that we, we think back and what could have been, what could have been, what could have been. Uh, so it's almost like a, a interesting but also depressing piece of, of history to have uh, in your collection. But um, so that team that team was tough to handle because the injury happened so late that to 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 make up for him to find ways to compensate for the loss was sure. I believe he did try to play, but was not even close to to what he was during the season. And to have such a great regular season. And, oh, yeah. and then as far as Indiana did in the NCAA tournament, um, called, but that, that, those years, that was good. 92 was in the final, was a solid team. And I think the next year was a sweet 16 team. Yeah. In 94. Yeah. Um, before I yeah. think lost to Boston college in the, in the sweet 16. Yeah. Or, um, I believe that was right. In '94, that was the Ross Hales team. That's right. '94. That's right. The walk. That's probably that was probably the. Yeah, that was yeah, some the of those carried on uh, yeah. the next year, and they needed bodies, um, and so Ross was asked to to join in that following year. I remember that '94 team is probably the last great team that that Knight had because Bailey was a senior, and Henderson was a senior. And Evans was blossoming as, as a shooter, uh, you know, the Terre Haute native. And we had some really good young players on that team. And I've had this conversation with multiple people about, um, you know, that was kind of like the end of the era because the mid-90s, it was just such a, a <laughs> you know, a free-for-all of what you're going to get on the floor. And, and, and so, so unique, so different. So, um, so. We're going to go way back, way back for this one. And I brought this up before on assembly call a couple of years ago, but I want to bring this up because it's significant. So what we have here is a ticket stub from 1915. It's a full ticket stub, Indiana versus Earlham College. Um, and the, the significance of the date, uh, again, in the, in the year is this is a game at the original assembly hall. So there was an original assembly hall before the one that everybody knows of now that was on the IU campus immediately to the east of Owen Hall. There's a parking lot there now. It's just behind the Union. You could you would probably never notice that it, or could tell that it had been any kind of structure. It was a wood structure. It was kind of like just a uh, – it was, it was weird, the shape of it. If you go on the IU archives, 
website. You can find photos of it. But it was like an all-purpose facility for music and for um, for political gatherings, for, for gatherings of students. But it was also a basketball facility. And very little exists from that time period. I've never seen a program. We don't even have a game photo that exists uh, or uh, anything inside that pertaining to sports. We don't have a team photo inside it, inside it. A few ticket stubs are out there, but they're exceedingly rare. And it, it is the, the early years of IU basketball when it, we're not talking about big 10 championships. We're not talking about, um, you know, a lot of successful seasons, but nonetheless, it is IU basketball history. And I would tell the, to, pe- to people, if you ever come across something that old that is from that time period, hang on to it because you have something that is almost unique uh, and that it's just non-existent. It's, you know, the, the stories that I've seen on the facilities, uh, all sport facilities, is th- those stories and those pictures are, are just vital. And, and adding to that ticket stubs and programs that, that you've shared also brings you back to to – the pre-assembly hall, pre-field house, all of those things that that sure. you've you realize that they, there's been many many facilities over the years. Those those things are cool. That that again is what you talked about earlier too. Is when you you get a piece and it brings you back and it tells you the stories of what happened before. Uh, I, I think that's the the fun part of of seeing this and witnessing this and probably even collecting. Uh, you know, you're speaking about those articles, Ken Bykoff, um did those several years ago. And to me, there's nothing better that's been written about the facilities. If you, you can find them out there, if you search his name and search for the names of the facilities, they're out there. They used to be on inside Indiana. They're great. Uh, he'd spent so much time researching those and I have found endless amounts of information and, and there's stuff in there that you would not have found unless you had taken the time to go through the old Indiana daily students. But those are the definitive, uh, accounts of the history of the facilities and and you know he even talks about those that predate the current campus when it was over at the seminary campus uh just south of downtown on second street and and in college in that area and that's stuff that you know most people don't even i bet there's a fair amount of people that don't even know the campus was there originally and that there was a fire and that land was donated for them to relocate just east of downtown i mean that's that's the kind of stuff that that always fascinates me and i think that's that's why the story is so worthwhile to tell. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, another bat. I got just a couple more, uh, but this this is a very interesting program, and it has several signatures, and I'll talk about it in a moment. But one of the things I want to point out here, and I have my finger pointing to it, that's an Oscar Robertson signature. Okay. And so what I have here, this is a nineteen fifty eight. Hoosier Classic basketball program. So we think about the Crossroad Classics today. We think about the four uh, main schools in Indiana, Butler, Notre Dame, Purdue, and Indiana playing. That was something that originated in the 1940s, okay? And it was held annually, usually at Hinkle. uh, Now is Hinkle. It used to be called Butler Fieldhouse. But this was an event that, you know, you would see the four best teams play, and it was a very highly attended event. This program is unique because it contains several signatures. Um, I'll kind of go through what we have here. We have Herbie Lee. We have uh, Bill Balsh. We have Frank Radovich, who was a very good player on the teams of the late 50s, early 60s. Bob Wilkinson. 
We have um, uh, Randy Williams. We have Coach Branch McCracken. And we have a very early – it's upside down. I'll turn it here. We have a very early Walt Bellamy signature. So this would have been his first eligible season as a sophomore uh, in playing basketball. And I have not found anything earlier that, that is of Walt Bellamy signed. He signed a lot after he retired in the NBA. There's a lot of Walt Bellamy signatures out there. But something this old, I would highly doubt, exists. The, so this, this fan had this signed by the players after the game – and the Oscar, the Oscar Robertson signature is unique because he was he was at University of Cincinnati at the time. He was home uh, for break, and he was in Indianapolis's hometown. Uh, you know, attending. He went to Crispus Attucks High School. He attended the game, and the fan signed had him sign the program. So it's kind of out of place for Oscar Robertson to be signing a Indiana program. But you're talking about one of the best base or basketball players of all time period. Uh, and, and it's a, a, a signature during his college years, which is, is rather unique. The interesting thing about it is the fact that, you know, Robertson wanted to come to IU and there's several theories that abound in his book that he wrote his autobiography. He said that, you know, he didn't have a good first interaction with Branch McCracken. Branch McCracken basically told him, I hope you're, not the kind of guy who wants to get paid to play college basketball. And that was not really the first impression that he was hoping for because Robertson was clearly the best player in the state of Indiana. And he quickly crossed off Indiana off his list. And there's more to that story uh, that relates to other recruits. And, and like I said, that's one of those what if topics that I'm, I'm going to be writing about soon. Uh, but lo and behold, Robertson goes on to play at Cincinnati. He's three time college basketball player of the year graduates as, you know, Cincinnati's all-time leading scorer. And, you know, we all know about his legendary career in the NBA. And so it's just a cool old item that I would highly doubt there's another one like that, that has those unique signatures on it. How do you find something that unique? That's, that's something where it's a network thing. Um, I have told hundreds of people, Hey, I collect things, you know, and I, I, you know, if you ever find anything to contact me, that was a situation where I got a contact through somebody through Twitter um, who said, Hey, I got a friend who's, who wants to sell this program. It's a 1958. Who's your best classic program? And I said, Oh, okay. You know, what does he want for it? He says, well, he wants a considerable amount of more than it would probably be for the price of the program because it has a lot of signatures on it. And I said, okay. And so one thing led to another, and I was able to acquire it. But a lot of times, and, and one thing I don't do on Twitter is I don't advertise that I'm a collector. I, I don't think it's proper for me to do that. I've, I've, uh, I, I welcome people who have questions about items. And if it leads to something where I purchase something, that's one thing. But I'm not saying I'm buying, I'm buying, I'm buying. My, my interest in what I'm doing on Twitter is more about the background of the history Yes, I, it has helped me acquire items, but like I said, I'm, I'm not going to get to the position where I'm uh, just saying, hey, I'm using this account to solicit items. So, But I, I've been able to acquire some things through that, um, and, and that has been a benefit. And I was going to save some of this for the end, but this is, a good, this is what makes Chris uh, Williams, I think, just an incredibly awesome person. And, and through, you know – the start of this show and the sharing of items, 
he loves to collect and he wants to collect, but he also wants to tell the story, whether it's for Indiana University, whether it's for people, um, helping people find stuff. Um, he's helped me find some stuff. And, and, and I tell you, Chris, I'll just go publicly here and I hopefully hundreds of people listen and watch. Um, I think that's incredible that you're not just out to, to be a collector. You're really a storyteller and a historian more than uh, a true collector, buyer, seller, trying to profit sure. off things. I think that's the big part of, of this show and, and telling of your story as well as sharing the items. And I think that's incredible. I, I do. Like I said earlier, I, I do get a great feeling when I, I have something that someone really appreciates and it's something that I can give to them that, that, you know, they can make that connection or it's something from their childhood or something that's family related. And I, I I'm always looking, I, I've, I've, t- I've talked to former players and, and family members of former players. And I always said, you know, I'm always looking for something. If I, if I'm able to find it, I will definitely let you know. I'm, I mean, I, I have half a dozen, uh, you know, people that I, I constantly check in with saying, Hey, I'm, you know, haven't forgotten. I'm still looking. And sometimes it, it's just not going to be there. You're not going to find it, but it, it you know, I, I, I genuinely do have uh, an, an interest in making sure that I can find something for people. So. Um, what else do you have for us tonight? Well, this is probably going to be one of the finale pieces because I don't know how it's going to top this. And this is probably my best football piece. Um, let me just kind of preface by saying that this, this has been, um, this was in an auction. Uh, there's a, there's a major, uh, sports auction called heritage. It's probably the top of the line that, that had this auction about four years ago. It then made its way to another, um, auction and it kind of bounced around from collector to collector. And I was finally able to get it. And to me, in terms of football in the last close to 30 years, I don't think anything's going to top uh, an Antoine Randall game used jersey. Um, and the significance about this one is this is from his senior year. So this is from 2001. He was a Heisman finalist. He was a first team All-American. Uh, I believe he was Big Ten player, the uh, offensive player of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but this is tried and true, photo matched 100% from his senior year. Um, and to me, I you know, you know, he's easily the best player in the last twenty-eight years. Obviously, the, the you know, I would I would say Anthony Thompson is above him, but he, you know, uh, Mike Schumann of the Daily Hoosier just had his ranking, and and definitely, you know, Antoine deserves to be in that top four. So this is a this is the short-lived Nike era. So this is a jersey that was made by Nike. Um, this is that black and red and white style. This is a home uniform. Uh, which is, makes it even more special to me. Uh, but this, and and somebody asked me the other day when I showed them to you, why is it not dirty? Because if they recall the last, the, the Purdue game that year, it was a mud fest. You know, it was, it rained. We had the grass field. They had just changed over to grass. They had turf issues already. And it was just a miserable mess. But I reminded them that that year in 2001, because of what happened with the 9-11 attacks, they postponed the Kentucky game until after the Purdue game, and it was in the first week of December. So that's why it doesn't show as much of the wear as it would have from the Purdue game or the being messy and dirty. But, you know, it has significant dirt on it. You just can't see it. But I I don't know if anything would top a football item in my collection 
than this. And, and I, I was looking for something this significant for a long time. And I honestly think this is something that will go back to the university eventually because I think that's where it belongs. And, and we've mentioned that too. That That's an incredible thing to do. Uh, Randall it was an exciting player to watch. Uh, and that's an incredible jersey. You know, the fascinating thing is you've shown me some recent jerseys. And boy, they're manufactured so different in the last uh, 18 years. That one, it, it, and Randall L was a, a big figure, but not a large person. And that jersey no. is large. You look at uh, this uh, uh, Xander Diamant jersey that, that I have, and it's real Shrink. tight and pressed. Oh, yeah. How they stretch it over their pads nowadays. Uh, it's interesting. And you mentioned earlier, you know, the makes, the models, the styles, the companies that made all of the the uniforms, and, and it helps out too. But you you can see the difference, and especially if you get back probably in the older days, you started out uh, with a 74 basketball jersey and end with a. Right. a 2001 football jersey those years those uh, the length of the shorts comes to mind too that, <laughs> oh, yeah. that you can document that uh as a historian so those are some of the items uh chris has a ton of items uh that that he shares again looking to give back to the university and someday i would be all for a, a museum on the sports campus i think that's uh something that's the next level after all of the expansion and building of the baseball and the two end zones I think that would really top off a really good athletic uh, facility uh, there on the north side of, of campus and, and items that you have and other people that would donate uh, to be taken care of with the curator and all that kind of stuff uh, would, would be awesome. So let's uh, last question about topics, and then we'll just end it here with some more personal stories. But ticket stubs and programs, you, you shared a press pass, a ticket stub up from basketball. Is the demand high or low for those items, and and do you do you collect a lot of those, um, or are the other items more important to you to collect? Football is always going to be the top priority for for from basketball because with basketball there are so many games in a year. It's just for mo- for a lot of collectors, the goal is to have every ticket from the season. It's especially with the older, and I'm even finding this as someone who has hundreds if not thousands of basketball stubs finding a complete season is is impossible uh, my my latest project is i'm trying to find every ticket from every game in the 75 76 season and i'm still missing 11 which it's only 11 but it's still 11 and some of those uh, i think are going to be uh, next to impossible to find because with basketball most people didn't keep them and even with football you're discovering that but with football it's always going to be more of an interest, um, especially the programs. The, the big programs that you will find for Indiana are 50s and 60s and 70s football. The older commands more prices. When you get into the 30s and 20s, it's going to be a significant hike um, in prices. And it also depends on, on who Indiana plays. I, I'll give you an example. About two weeks ago, uh, there was a 1927 Indiana-Notre uh, Dame uh, football program played in he played in Bloomington. New Rockney was still coaching. Uh, it went for over six thousand wow. dollars, and that that is purely because of the Notre Dame appeal. Uh, nothing against our football program, but Notre Dame collectors are going to pay that price to try to gather every program they can, program they can, especially from the New Rockney years, which were from nineteen eighteen to nineteen thirty. Um, 
So if it, it depends on the team they're playing. It depends on the age. Now for basketball, I'll pay more of a premium for, uh, for basketball older programs because they are hard to find. Uh, programs from the 30s and 40s, they may not command a huge price, but they are rare. Um, for, for football, the biggest ones you're going to find in terms of prices are going to be the bucket game programs. Uh, the larger formatted programs that have the fantastic artwork on the cover, 20s and 30s, even in the 40s, they're going to command more of a price because it is the bucket game. Um, and because, uh, you know, it, it, those, those styles program, so those style programs that are larger formatted have more appeal. Um, you know, I, I would say in terms of an Indiana, regular Indiana program, if you're looking at the first bucket game in 1925, uh, you, you could see upwards seven, $800 for that one. And they're, they're out there, but they, they're uncommon uh, to find, but I would say all in all, with football uh, and st- football stubs and programs, who a lot of people like to pair together, there's going to be more of a market for that, more of an appeal. But it it, it varies. I, I don't. I, I'm not trying to get every program I can. My biggest thing right now is for basketball to try to get every Purdue home program. Uh, going back to about 1940 to present, I'm only missing about 15, and so. Uh, but those are hard to find. I think it would be easier to have a complete collection of. Uh, IU Purdue bas- or football programs than it would be basketball just because of the uh, the numbers that would have been available. You know, do do certain games like um, milestone games when someone scores a thousandth point or breaks a record, do those tickets and programs become a little bit more important to have? Definitely. Uh, I would say in a recent uh, situation, tickets and programs for Calvert Cheney's Big Ten career scoring game you know, those could go $50, $60 for the tickets. Uh, they're, you know, I'm sure people kept them, but that's part of the reason why you don't see them out very often in circulation. Um, I'm lucky to have a couple. Um, and, uh, you know, to me, you know, once I find them, I don't want to get rid of them. So, uh, but in terms of basketball, um, you know, you try to find milestone games. You try to, I, one of the things I've tried to do is to collect a basketball program from every first for the first game of every IU basketball coach. And with the exception of branch McCracken, I have everyone since ever Dean was here. So have never been able to find one. And if anybody has one out there, uh, please, th- I am going to solicit this. If you have a 1938 Indiana versus ball state game in Bloomington, we need to talk because that's one of my Holy grails. So, um, we were talking off, off air. I have tubs of programs. I, I'm getting up there in age, so so the stuff that I collected is probably maybe occasional game here or two. But I have a lot of programs uh, from the '80s and '90s when I was uh, in college, and that that I'm going to take uh, all of my stuff down to Chris's house in Bloomington. I'm going to let him pick through some of that. Um, Anytime. I, I owe him some uh, some stuff every once in a while, but let's, let's go back to a little bit of personal question here. As, as we wrap up the show, we're, we're talking with Chris Williams, also known as IU artifacts. He just shared some of his uh, important stuff that he has, and he has a lot of stuff, but who's what basketball team was your favorite uh, Indiana basketball team? You know, those early nineties teams, obviously I was spoiled to, and, and so many of us, you know, my, my generation, you know, is after the 76 teams and those teams that my parents were in school for. My dad sat in the second row behind the basket for every game during 75, 76 season. So um, 
it, it has to be 92, 93, uh, you know, for so many of us. And I know Jared, like I've, I've, I've referenced Jared and Andy Bottoms, Jared Morse, they could attest to that because that was our team in our era. I just remember the guys on the team were great people. You could approach them in public. They were very uh, nice to fans. They were great guys. They were Indiana guys. So, I mean, you know, pretty much everybody from that team, with the exception of a couple, and I love Chris Reynolds, even if he's from Illinois, um, those, those guys were Indiana players. And they came in, and it was exciting basketball. And it was just a fun time because I remember – you know, I never, I didn't get to go to a lot of games. My parents had season tickets. My grandparents had season tickets. So I got to go to athletes in action or, you know, versus Serbia or something like that. I was pumped because um, I would, I remember going to the games and there wouldn't be an empty seat. The the enthusiasm, the, the play, you know, it was just, it was, it's hard to describe, but that was clearly it. And I remember so many great memories of, um, of watching, um, watching uh i'm sorry or listening excuse me to don fisher on on the radio at night and 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 watching max you know know, uh, listen to max skirvin and chuck marlowe on channel four and those memories you know those are my great memories and i think back and i and i i think about those times and i have it's just it's you know it's bittersweet because of what happened to henderson but to me nothing's going to top that that team and that's one of the things i try to collect i really seek out a lot of items from that season because it has a special bond to me. Overall favorite player from Indiana that you either watched or have learned about in history. Uh, it's Damon Bailey. Not, I don't even have to think about it. Uh, <laughs> um, and I, I was lucky enough to find a Damon Bailey game. New Jersey It was one of the first big pieces I ever purchased. Um, my son's name, Damon, it's not after Damon Bailey, I promise you, but uh, it, it's just a coincidence. That's something, for example, that will never go away. It'll be my son's eventually. Um, I just remember, I, I, I remember the hype, you know, in Bloomington, you're just a little bit north of Heltonville where he grew up. I remember the hype. I remember the famous comment that the best guard in Indiana was was 20 miles south of Bloomington or 15 miles south of Bloomington when he was an eighth grader. Um, I remember the, the aura about him and I, I we were talking about this the other night and I've had this conversation with other people about him and Romeo, the mystique about them. Nothing, you know, when you're a guy that is the most, probably the most famous basketball crew, really you could say in modern history in terms of what you did for, you know, the whole recruiting aspect of of players, it it, it was him. And I know that some people said, well, you know, his career might've been a little bit of a disappointment. I don't, I don't agree. He's still top 10 all time in scoring. He was an all American. Um, I, I just loved his floor presence. I loved his play. He was tough. He could play so many positions. He could play the one, the two, the three. Uh, he could post up players. He was an exciting player, and he was tough. And I, I remember um, I ran into him a couple times. He lived. He actually lived in the apartment complex that was just down the street from my neighborhood. And me and my friends would walk down there and try to see if we could wash his car for him just so we could be around him because we wanted to, like, you know, be around him and, and – because he was our guy. I mean, he, you know, and that's the beauty about, you know, even, you know, in every generation of IU basketball, you have those players that people just, they're your guys, they're your players, your heroes. And everybody's had that in their, in their lifetime. And that's just a special, a special thing for youngsters uh, to have that bond with somebody like that. And so to me, it's, it's always going to be Bailey. You know, mine mine is Quinn Buckner. I've shared that with you uh, because I was 10 or 11 when Indiana 
one in 76. And so I was, that's when I first started following Indiana basketball. And then obviously I was on campus in 87 when Steve Alford was the star and Keith Smart hit the shot and, and one of the best memories. And then you go through Calvert Chaney in the, in the 90s and, and it goes on to, you know, Zeller, Aladipo, and some of those. It's It's been a good run in the 50 years that I've been alive. But, um, yeah, you get your – Damon Bailey, I remember in high school, uh, hit the state championship of 40,000 people, and then the RCA is no longer around. But that was such a, a big recruit uh, and a big – all the way since he was in eighth grade story. Do you have a favorite piece um, for for basketball? The day, the Bailey jersey is hard to top, um, but you know I have a special item throughout because of its rarity. I have a couple of envelopes, and I've written a couple of stories about this for Assembly Call. There, there are two envelopes, and together they encompass the entire 1940-41 IU basketball team. It's twice signed by Branch McCracken. And it has Ernie Andrus, the freshman coach. It has Ralph Graham, the assistant coach. It has Ferguson Jenkins, the trainer. It has the athletic director, Zora Clevenger, who was IU's first All-American in football in 1903. That, to me, is something that is irreplaceable. It's probably one of a kind. Um, I'm, not, Ian, I'm not even a big signature autograph guy. I have tons of autograph basketballs, but I've never been an avid pursuer of trying to get autographs of all of these separate players but that's just something to me that stands out as a unique unique thing but I have some jerseys I mean it's hard to pick one I mean I've I my Steve Downing jersey that I found in the garage a bunch of under a bunch of old t-shirts and rags I mean literally putting pulling a piece of a diamond in the rough um, I, that that story is just to me and and finding that is just such a unique thing but you know I have my Bailey jersey on my wall I proudly display it and 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 to me uh, it's not going to top that. And, and if it does, I'd be very surprised. So, Well, Chris, we appreciate you taking time to talk uh, about your passion of collecting IU uh, memorabilia and sharing the great the families, giving back to the university. You're, you're a one-of-a-kind guy that um, you give away your treasure, and, and that's why I think you fit in so well with .com. And... Um, Share with people where they can uh, find uh, all of your work. Yeah. Um, so I post on Twitter. Uh, the question was where they can find stuff. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I post on Twitter. It's at IU Artifacts. Um, I also have an email address. It's gloryforoldiu at gmail.com. Uh, if people have questions about items, if they need a, a recommendation on what the value is, uh, you know, and, and if if people are seeking something, you know, I, I, I can try to point them in the right direction. But I, I, I post a lot on, on Twitter because I like to pick something significant to maybe a day if I can. You know, obviously, in football season, that's what I've been doing now. But things will ramp up definitely as well when basketball season starts, which we're just a few days now from Hoosier Hysteria. So That's right. And, and uh, I might be in town, Jared, and Ben Malcolm Center pushing oh. hard to come down. Uh, so yeah, I have to make it. Well, sooner so. or later, you're going to be Chris, down permanently, remember? So you know, we're going to be neighbors. That's what we've been talking about. We are going to be neighbors, and you're going to help me find a job here soon. Um, hopefully, as soon as possible. That's that's the goal in retirement. Um, but uh, thank you for being a friend uh, first, and and what you do for 
uh, Indiana University and and us fans in in living through your your stuff. You you are a great example of of what uh, being a good person is, let alone a good Indiana person. So thank you for all you do. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. So this will do it for this week's show. Be sure to follow Chris on Twitter at IU Artifacts and his stories again on assemblycall.com. Uh, to follow this podcast on Twitter, the, it is at SportsTons, S-P-O-R-T-S-T-O-N-S. And all of our work is uh, online, too, at SportsTalkWithTonsoni.com, where our high school students do some writing along with our faculty. A visual podcast, video podcast will be there too. Thanks for listening. So for Chris Williams, I am Brian Tonsoni saying happy collecting. So long.